the Spot Track Podcast, talking sports contracts, the salary cap, and business of sports. Welcome into another edition of the Spot Track Podcast. Your host, Brandon Kravitz, here, joined by the man himself, Mike Janetti. Couldn't come up with a creative nickname today. I don't know what it is. Maybe the holidays getting to me already. We're all in a brain fog, but we've got massive news to get to today. How are yeah. things? Yeah, doing well. It's uh, it is. It's a busy time for sports. It's a busy time for family life. So we uh, we grind away and we get it done. The uh, the Yankees are the Yankees of old. Brandon, is this good for baseball yep. or what? Of course it is. I'm not even a Yankees guy, but it's hard yeah. to it, it's hard to uh, not admit that. So let's start there. The biggest news in the sports world, uh, which is awesome to say this time of year, but that's how you know the hot stove is heating up. Juan Soto uh, has been dealt from the Padres to the Yankees. San Diego sends Soto, Trent Grisham to New York in exchange for a bunch of pitchers mm. and Kyle Higashioka. Uh, the catcher. So just break down the deal. What do you think of this in terms of um, the swap? And then, of course, we'll talk about what it means for the Yankees. Right. It's a blockbuster. There's no question about it. I mean, the Yankees punted on four really, really solid arms. Two of these, I think two of these guys right now in uh, Randy Vasquez and Michael King are going to be in the starting rotation for San Diego in 2024. So that's that's a decent starting point alone. Higashioko could be the opening day uh, catcher. There's a there's a youngster out there, Luis Campanosa, who could could win that spot. But th- that's three essentially opening day starters. Uh, the Brito kid is kind of a swing man. He can do both. You love to have that on your roster right now. And Drew Thorpe is a former second round pick who projects to be like a 2025 starting pitcher in this league. So I, I don't know that San Diego could have done any better. Certainly they they tried, right? They shopped sort of around to some big, big networks and the Yankees made the biggest offer, which that's saying something, right? If the Yankees had to kind of overpay to get this thing done, that's not the Yankees of old. That's They are on a level playing field now with a lot of other teams and they had to really over overdo it just a little bit here to get this thing done. But I, I can't say enough about Soto hitting, batting left in Yankee Stadium, at least for oh, one year. Huge. And San Diego replenishing, you know, a few years worth of pitching after kind of swinging and missing in that regard quite a bit. So it's a, it's definitely a win-win for now. If the Yankees can sign Juan Soto, and I know you want to talk about that, that's where things get really fun. But there's a lot of what-ifs here. I saw Jeff Passan has been making the rounds on ESPN and he was saying that the Padres actually won the deal. Um, is it, it, yeah. it sounds like it's fair to look at it that way. Well, if you talk about, you know, all the pitching that I just mentioned and not having to pay $500 million, I think, I think that's a pretty good starting point for yourself. The Grisham stuff is interesting. He's going to get squashed in all this discussion. He's like the fourth best defensive center fielder in baseball. He can hold his own on the base pass and things like that. He's a he's a very un Yankees type player. So the fact that they wanted him in this deal, or maybe they were they were kind of forced into taking him, he's going to do a lot of good things in Yankee Stadium. And one of the things he's going to do is not make Aaron Judge play center field for 162 games, which is damaging to his career for a player who's injured so often. So it's an important piece as well. But yeah, there's if you want to tell me that the Padres walk away with this as the early winners, I can live with that because I'm always going to opt for pitching over even the, one of the greatest hitters in the league. It, but but at the same time, the, the Yankees needed this. They had to put somebody in front of Aaron Judge in that lineup. And like yeah. you said, especially a lefty, you've got to have power lefty uh, bats mm-hmm. when you're the New York Yankees. So this should 
this should help stabilize things and to just satiate a fan base that it needs those stars. I've already seen the, the Yankee fans come out of the woodwork talking about how they can't wait to hop on the subway and go watch this team play. No question. He's a, he's going to sell the jerseys. He's going to be the one, two punch with Aaron judge that this team has been lacking. You know, Anthony Rizzo was kind of supposed to be that player. He is a shell of himself. So this was necessary. Um, here's the one thing I'll say, and I've been talking to a bunch of people this morning about it. I'm getting some mixed answers. I, I don't think this screams we're signing Juan Soto, by the way. this It's a big haul. It's a, it's a damaging haul for the Yankees prospect pool, right, in terms of their pitching staff. But I don't think this is a, this is a haul that tells me, all right, we just gave up the farm. This guy's got to play for us more than one year. This, this really could be all about 2024 and getting this franchise back where it belongs, at least near the top of the AL East and back in the, con- you know, the conversation, if nothing more, to satisfy a fan base that, you know, that is the lifeline of New York sports. So then if they uh, I'm looking over at spottrack.com and I know you've got a big article coming out about this. So if you guys want the full breakdown spottrack.com when you're done listening to this and just review um, incessantly, if they don't end up signing him long term this season, he becomes an unrestricted free agent at the end of the year. Is that correct? That's right. And his agent is somebody, you know, you know, Scott Boris. So we've been through this before quite a bit. Uh, generally speaking, when Scott Boris clients get this close to free agency, there's not even a phone call to be had. He doesn't even want to talk extension. This might be a, a, a case where he'll at least listen because everybody in the room has to see how nice of a fit this is going to be for Juan Soto for the next 12 years, right? Two, 240 to right field. He's got Aaron Judge under contract for nine more years. There's just a lot of things going the right way. The lefty-righty splits that that you know are coming down the pipeline here. Um, and you know, if you want to talk about Stanton in this lineup for a little while as well, we can do that too. But the, I, I think Scott Boris would at least pick up the phone from Brian Cashman and say, what are we doing here? But it's going to start. And I'll get super nerdy. And I get really nerdy in this article. So if you if you want numbers, if you want numbers, have some coffee and dive nothing in. Nothing less, yeah. Mike. We would expect yeah. nothing less. This is why here, we come to the builder. Yeah, real quick. Here, here's the first step. And it's important. And it involves Otani, right? One of the things that surprised, I think, both of us last year, this time around this time, was Otani avoiding arbitration with the Angels at a flat 30 million. When I was talking 40s, I was talking. Does he even does he demand a trade? Are they even talking about 2023 or should he just get the hell out of there you know, before the season even starts? And he quickly avoided arbitration at 30 million, which was a record for a one year arbitration salary. The Yankees can can do very, very well for themselves optically and certainly internally by by following a similar similar path, calling Scott Boris and saying, all right, let's go 31 million right now for 2024. Get it on the books. It's a historic arbitration salary. It's probably what he's worth anyway. So we'll start there, make everybody happy and get this thing off on, on, on the right note. And then we can start talking about the $500 million payday to come. But that, it's really important that they, they treat the next couple of weeks properly. And uh, I know that might be complicated because there's, they're not done, right? They want this Yamamoto kid from Japan. They want some other names to round this entire offseason out. But uh, making sure Soto is happy has to be at least top two right now for the next couple of months here. For sure. And um, he's going to be a big part of what they're doing this season, obviously. And I just I I, I, I think maybe it's the um, 
it's so crazy to me how quickly these um, graphic design artists online get the get the geese guys in these jerseys. It's all AI, Brandon. Come on, get out. I, I, I Come on, Grandpa Brandon. I don't know how they're doing it. I really don't. I've never been able to figure this out. I think I'm pretty good on social media. I cannot figure out how we're getting these players into these jerseys this fast. But man, if Juan Soto doesn't look like a New York Yankee, I don't know who does. But if yeah. they and, and like you said, they're still going after Yamamoto. So what does that mean in terms of their projected payroll if they do um, uh, any sort of arbitration deal with Juan Soto and they're still going after a heavy hitter in terms of the rotation? Mm-hmm. Uh, the, like you said, this is this is very much old school Yankees. Let's just outspend everybody until we win a championship. The threshold for 2024 is 237. That's what the tax threshold currently stands at for the league. I've got the Yankees basically at 280 right now uh, with 35 men on their 40 man roster. So there's there's plenty of more damage to be done here. This is going to be a 300 million dollar payroll in terms of tax salary, uh, probably cash as well. Because uh, because if we're talking about 300 million dollars for Yamamoto, which is the going rate, it sounds like that's probably 30 million a year. Right. Is it 10 for 300 is, is probably what we're going to get to with that kid who's super young and talented. So we're, we're easily talking about 300 million. It could it could approach 325 if they nickel and dime a few more pieces. Now, are they going to move Stanton off this roster? Are they going to move Rizzo off this roster? I think those are possibilities. So there may be some up and down over the next couple of months. But to, to say that the Yankees are approaching 300 million is just going to be a fact. There's there's no chance they don't get there. Uh, and Stanton still has years left on his deal. That's yeah. going to take, that's going to be one of those where they've got to give in order for somebody else to take, right? No question. There's four more seasons. You know, Miami's paying a decent chunk of it, but the Yankees still have a bulk to, to deal with. Certainly more than they want to be paying a player who's doing very little for them. Um, and, and the injuries just keep piling up. That, that's the, that's the real conversation. If you're a Yankees fan or, or a baseball roster fan, this team has like, five corner outfielders and four DHs right now. So something's going to have to give for this Yankees organization. Um, you don't want Aaron judge playing center field, even 80 games. Uh, they just acquired Alex Verdugo, who can do some, a little bit of everything again, not a very Yankees type player though. So I, I wonder if some of these players either get flipped or like I said, some of these bigger names get moved off and the Yankees just end up eating a lot of cash. Like the Mets have been doing over the past few months. I want to go back to the Padres portion of the the quote winning the deal. And, and I'm wondering if you've detailed this at all in the article that mm-hmm. you're still putting it together or it's already together. I want to make sure I get the fact. Yeah, I right just finished there. the Juan Soto part. So I got to talk about the Padres. So this will be a good precursor for us here. OK, perfect. Because I, it, would you agree that part of the whole for for assigning wins and losses here to a trade, which we love to do in the sport in the sports media Mm-hmm. that part of this is also what the Padres gave up to get Juan Soto and what they were able to accomplish with Juan Soto on the roster. Mm-hmm. If you take that into account, is it still a win for San Diego? They gave up some good pieces in order to get him. Big pieces, right? Mackenzie Gore, CJ Abrams, kids that should be studs for the Nationals now for the next couple of years. But, you know, we'll see if they get there. There's some red flags. Uh, that's a fair point. You know, have they replenished that pool? Probably to some degree, although many of these pitchers that are in, in the rotation for San Diego could be relievers in a couple of years. You know, they're kind of swingmen like that. Yeah. <laughs> Excuse me. <clears throat> but it's a fair point to talk about that. This is only 16 months you know, away from when they acquired Juan Soto to start. So, um, you know, one of the questions I'm bringing up in the piece, Brandon, is, is it just 
Is it just team oriented that Juan Soto has been traded twice in 16 months or is there, is there a smoking gun situation here? There was some talk about his lack of effort and taking some games off and certainly defensively he's looked lackluster at times. I don't think teams care. I don't think the Yankees care if he's going to hit 41 home runs, you know, to, uh, into the right field porch for them. But it is worth noting, we, we don't see superstars in this league move around this much. This is a very NBA type situation here where he's bouncing around to different organizations. I'm, I'm OK chalking it up to the Nationals were tanking after they won their world championship and they had to do this to replenish their prospect pool. And it seems like San Diego wants to cut some payroll, though. I don't know. Can you really cut payroll with some of these contracts you have on the books? You know, the Darvishes and the, and the Bogarts and things like that. So I, it's at least worth discussing out loud that Soto, a player of this caliber at this age, right? He's just turned 25 years old, has now been moved twice. Maybe San Diego knows something that, that the rest of us don't quite know yet, but I still think the Yankees benefit in the end. I mean, it's so true. It's, it, it, I think it's a fair point to bring up. We're talking about a guy that's been compared to Ted Williams in terms right. of his ability at the plate, and yet he's on to team number three and he's still in his younger 20s. There, there could be sort of a red flag, or he's just one of those pieces that, yeah, we see this in sports where a guy is so highly coveted, and and yet he ends up on a roster that can't quite figure out how to make it work with him. It felt like San Diego wanted to be one of those teams that played big boy baseball, and maybe they're realizing that it's a little bit harder to pull that off than they realized. Right, and... You know, all signs are pointed to Otani joining the Dodgers. So that division's only going to get worse for them, right? Arizona just acquired a pitcher that's going to make them continue to be in the tops there. So they may be reading the room as well and understanding that this is just not the right time to keep pushing the envelope and pushing the gas pedal down 150 miles an hour, even though this is the player we'd love to have long term. This is also the player that can bring us the biggest haul back. And that's certainly what we've seen here. Okay, let's transition to the uh, quarterback position. I will remind all of you, go to SpotTrack.com, get the full nerdy breakdown from Mike (laughs) Gennetti on the Juan Soto deal and all of the fallout there. We are seeing a rash of quarterback injuries right now in the NFL. The laundry list would take us the rest of the podcast, I think. Uh, The Daniel Jones and Joe Burrows, Deshaun Watson, and now Trevor Lawrence is going to miss time. Uh, it, it seems like at least. Do you mm-hmm. think the recent the recent rash of injuries that we've seen at the position is going to have an impact on the market as a whole? We do this with every other position, certainly running back. You and I have spent a lot of time on that. Does it have any impact on quarterback or will this be, just be viewed as coincidental? If we're talking about starting quarterbacks in the league, no, they're just too damn powerful. And when you establish yourself as the having the ability to carry a team for four to five seasons, that price is going nowhere, only up. Um, what I think might happen, and I'm I'm in for this. You've heard me talk about this before. It, there's no reason why the Jake Brownings and the Josh Dobbs of the world should settle for minimum contracts anymore. That, that's got to stop happening. All right. Those guys need to get upwards of $10 million a year because they have not proven that they are viable stand-ins for a franchise that, you know, every week matters. I realize the schedule is expanding and things are devaluing a little bit in terms of week to week. But what Jake Browning just did for the Bengals essentially saved their season, you know, put, putting the, th- everybody bails on Cincinnati if that doesn't happen Monday night. And he, he didn't just game manage that game. All right. He was outstanding. He's the AFC offensive player of the week for Christ's sake. Right. Wow. It's, yeah. So it's, 
when you have the ability to do that, and I don't care how good the weapons are, you know, that's the point, right? These contending teams are finding ways to win with QB2. So I don't think the QB1s are affected at all. You know, Kirk Cousins still gets paid this offseason. Dak Prescott probably gets $60 million this offseason. But what happens to the second guy in line who, who has now proven with NFL experience that he can come in and throw for 300 yards and three touchdowns at a moment's notice? That's a really hard thing to do. So I think those players have to stop taking near minimums, all right, and put themselves in a position where, okay, maybe the base salary is three, four million, but anytime I get my step on the field, I want money to win the game. I want money to throw touchdowns, right? Let's build in the incentives so that these guys are properly compensated and that the, the value of the quarterback position doesn't swing, you know, so much if Joe Burrow gets hurt. And I know, by the way, those teams can still win some games too. I mean, it's such a good point. And I'm looking at a guy who's now won four games in a row, has his team surprisingly in playoff position, Gardner Minshew. Right. His base salary this year is $1.75 million. The guy is worth so much more than that right. relative to the quarterback position. You're spot on with that. I think that this does shed light on just how valuable that backup quarterback position is in the NFL. And look at the Jets when you don't get that right. It cause it can cause a ripple effect that can take a long time to rebuild, and uh, I think it what what was tough though, and the hard part of carving out what what your actual value is as a backup quarterback is is a lot of these guys don't get opportunities to show that mm -hmm. they can keep a team afloat. So there there are very few guys that have that sort of th that opportunity, and then by the time they get it, they're already in the middle of a contract that they're probably exceeding in terms of the value they're bringing to the table. Let me just throw a couple of names at you quickly, just to kind of back up this point a little bit, right? Two teams that could easily be in the Super Bowl in a couple of weeks here. The 49ers backup quarterback, Sam Darnold, is going to make $4.5 million this year. And, and by the way, if he has to play in, in the next five weeks or so, he has incentives for every win. Every single time he has more than 50% snaps. If they make the playoffs and he has 50% of the snaps, he makes money. The Miami Dolphins, have a, have a backup named Mike White. You've heard of him before, Jets oh, fans, yeah. right? He's guaranteed $4.5 million on a two-year contract. He may never play a snap for that team, right? But they've done this. They've already gone to the next level and said, we're going to sign an, a, an above-minimum contract to our backup quarterback because it's one of the hardest jobs in all the sports to sit, up, sit on the sideline, take backup reps, right? You, you are not... You are not part of the offense until you have to be. But those guys have proven they can go out there and at least manage a game. So the, the best teams in football are doing this right now. And I expect more of the contending teams to do this for 2024. Can I request a future article at SpotTrack.com? Just and you maybe maybe this already exists is where the backup quarterback ranks. If you were to do like a mm. value meter per position, starting quarterback is obviously number one. Pretty good edge rusher, left tackle. Like how far do you have to go down the list until you hit backup quarterback? Because, oh. you know, you and I are pro running back guys, but it'd be hard not to put backup quarterback above them and and not just running backs. I'm not picking on our favorite position, uh, but <laughs> above a, a number of different positions. I mean, would you rather spend money on your on your D tackle or make sure that you've got that backup quarterback position sewn up? So, yeah, it's fair. I I, uh, I I that I just gave you a homework assignment. So when you're done with the hot stove, if we can. Yeah. <laughs>
what about what quarterback, uh, you know, in terms of the guy that I see carving out a new image for himself, um, mm-hmm. Jordan Love. He signed a one-year extension that runs through that next year. Does that thing just get torn up based on the way that he's played so far? I don't know, right? Beating the Chiefs has a lot of ripple effects, right? It really, it really generates a ton, a ton of attention. And he, you know, he was the reason they won that game. So I'm not going to downplay that, but it's a big five weeks for that entire franchise. There's a lot of pieces that can fall off and probably will fall off this roster. So there's a, there's a bit of a rebuild on the fly that has to happen. In my opinion, the the amount of work they have to do to facilitate the defense, to bring in a left tackle, right? Bakhtiari is definitely off this roster. To, to do something at the running back position outside of Patrick Taylor, because everybody else is going to be off the roster. And probably to fortify a veteran wide receiver with a lot of these kids, it probably means that Jordan Love has to wait. Um, and that he's going to have to play out this incentive-based 2024, which is going to... It's going to ring in at about $10 million when it's all said and done. I think he's going to get about $4 million worth of worth of escalators built in. Um, maybe they restructure a little bit and fully guarantee that so that there's there's no squashing, you know, half of that salary come, come mid-season or things like that. Uh, so that would be a good faith move. But if you want to tell me that by the middle of February, we're hearing rumors that that the Packers organization is sitting down to discuss, to discuss an extension upwards of 40 million a year for Jordan Love. It's not crazy because uh, I, I think there are plenty of signs. You don't want to screw around if you think you have a player, right? You, you, they can utilize the franchise tag in 2025, but we've seen that get pretty ugly. I, I do think that there's a chance at least based on how the next five weeks go that Jordan Love is making 40 million next year and not 10 million. We've seen so many cases at the quarterback position that that show us that hey, you got a rookie, you just you got to start this guy right away, no matter what. And Jordan Love is the old school backup that sat behind the starter for years and and allowed the offense to sort of marinate and they became comfortable with the league before getting an opportunity. Do you think there's any chance that teams look at this Jordan Love situation and say? Maybe we just do that rather than throwing these guys out there immediately. Yes. And it goes back to the point we just talked about, right? Jordan Love made $10 million for three years to sit behind Aaron Rodgers and come in for a couple of games when he was injured. That's above minimum minimum salary, right? That's essentially what they did. They they slightly overpaid a backup quarterback to sit in the system and learn. And by the way, it sure looks like that's what he did. There are so many instances of Jordan Love playing football that look like Aaron Rodgers to me. So it, it has worked. It has been successful. He is a different player than he was three years ago, and it's for the better. So, I, you know, how many times do these conversations have to come up before more teams say, let's just do this? I realize we're punting on the value of the rookie contract. But maybe we're not, right? Maybe maybe we're actually developing these players properly so that, yes, we have to pay them and we have to, you know, ruin some of our other rosters to keep these guys afoot, but we'll win games because these guys know how to play football now. Right. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if we're talking about the value of a backup quarterback, what would stop a team that's drafting in the 20s in the first round of going, we're just drafting a quarterback and then boom, at your press conference, your introductory press conference for that new player saying he is a backup. We are not moving off of our starter. This has nothing. We know how valuable the backup quarterback position is. And hopefully one day we could usher him in as a starter. It doesn't need to be this big controversy. You could just simply draft a backup to say we're drafting this position because it is of value. 
and maybe one day it turns into something. The Patriots did this for 15 years. <laughs> okay, second round quarterbacks with Tom Brady on the roster. Right. I, I just don't understand how everybody else isn't understanding this. There's it just doesn't so matter insecurity. if you have a guy. It, right. It feels like it's it's insecurity. It's um it's caving to fan pressure. And and yeah, team management just not being able to stand up to the fan base and saying this is what the plan is, and we think it's a good idea. Yeah. I guess credit and, to the Packers. Looking back, they were able to do that. This is a twofold conversation, though, right? With, with both these points we've been making. Number one is you're looking for the next guy all the time, you know, and, and drafting somebody in the second round versus the sixth round gives you a better chance to do that. And also, drafting a player in the second round probably gives you an immediate QB2, which is something we're talking about as well, right? It gives you a, a good, inexperienced, but quickly could become a valuable QB2 for you for two to three seasons while he learns to become a QB1. So I, I just think that's where things have to go. And contending teams need to punt on filling a draft, you know, you know, another spot on the roster with a second round pick every now and then to continue to do this in draft quarterbacks. Completely agree. Let's get to our quick hits. Wrap this one up. Uh, what are your thoughts going back to the baseball world on Buster Olney's article at ESPN.com where he writes that Shohei Otani's secrecy in free agency is a quote missed opportunity. I love him. I love Buster. And uh, he's almost always on point. I think he's off on this one. I think he's uh, he's thinking for himself, unfortunately. And I get it. It's got to be unbelievably frustrating to be a Major League Baseball writer right now. The judge stuff was silent. And then Cashman came out and gave us the offer, right? He, remember, he told us what he offered Aaron Judge. And the world crucified Brian Cashman for doing this, right? So uh, you can't have it both ways. You can't be killing a guy for trying to negotiate publicly and then killing another guy for completely going behind the, the, you know, the scenes and trying to completely be quiet. Why would Shohei Otani say anything? You know, the, the fact that he's that it came out that he's silencing teams, I don't know. I mean, to me, that's just good business, right? We're going to do our business behind scenes. This is not an easy contract by any regards. You know, we've talked about all the red flags and oh, yeah. the pitching side of this and his injury history. And, you know, this is not the small market teams trying to bring in a fish. This is the big boys throwing big time numbers with big time structure and a ton of conditions, I'm sure. And uh, and you just want to keep this thing clo as close to the vest as possible. I, I just think Buster wants more. He's just never going to get it. Not from a player like this who has a personality that is really close to the vest, really buttoned up. Um, now, you want to talk about Juan Soto in a year? I think that might be a different conversation. That's a guy with some charisma, some personality who likes to get it out there. And his agent is very much the same way. So maybe Buster just needs to wait a year when he'll get his wish. Is, is this just him uh, asking for... We always want baseball to do a better job marketing itself. Is that part of what it he's is. saying that this is not this is not just a missed opportunity, maybe for Shohei Otani and his star power, I, but for baseball? I just don't understand. What is he asking for, though? You know what I mean? Like, what what would be better marketing for baseball from Shohei Otani right now? Should he be taking Instagram posts of the steak dinners he's having right in Toronto? I I don't I don't quite get this. He's already the biggest story going, and we don't need to know what he's being offered because we can all we can all figure that out in our heads. We know that the number starts with five and could get the six or or it's going to be a short-term deal with 60 million a year. We, we know where this is headed. Uh, and when it doesn't, that'll be really great for baseball because it'll be a complete curveball, no pun intended. I just don't understand what he's supposed to be doing, right? That It's not like when... He wants NFL, a LeBron decision, maybe. <laughs> no, that's the worst thing in the world, right? I, I, I mean, when quarterbacks do this, there, there's no... 
there's no propaganda built into it. It's the same thing as this. We have to kind of guess where they're going and we get some rumors from the, you know, the weight room attendant who saw him pass by the hallway. And I don't know, this is just how it goes. I'm not, I'm not quite sure what Otani and his camp are supposed to be doing right now to make this a juicier situation for us. I knew I could get you worked up on that. Yeah, one. yeah, yeah. Zach, Zach Wilson <laughs> is back on as the Jets starting quarterback after reports that he was reluctant to do so. So I don't know what to believe here because uh, Diana Rossini at the beginning of the week was saying Zach Wilson was presented with this and he said, nah, I'm not really that interested anymore. Robert Sala then had to address the media and say, no, it's actually me who's reluctant. And then the very next day, neither of them are reluctant anymore. So what, what do you believe? Uh, I think Zach Wilson's career is over. <laughs> is that a fair assessment? I, I, I don't think the fairest of assessments. I don't think there's any other way to put this than it doesn't matter if that report was true, if it was fabricated, whatever the hell happened there. He was already on his way out, right? I mean, and this is not the right team to resuscitate your career on. This is one of the worst offensive lines in football, one of the worst set of weapons in football. This was built for Aaron Rodgers to put on his shoulders and carry this thing to the finish line. And, you know, breaking news, Zach Wilson is not Aaron Rodgers. So he's just going to ride the five, the next five weeks out, try to get the Jets a good draft pick and, and then probably ride off into the sunset. Uh, uh, he'll make $5 million from somebody next year, whether it's a, a late draft pick swap trade to get him somewhere else or a complete outright release by the Jets and they'll have to pay him that salary out the door. But this is it. This is the, uh, the beginning of the end for Zach Wilson. I saw some smoke around the rumors that Zach Ertz could be targeting the 49ers or vice versa as his next landing spot was let go from Arizona, lost a game check because of it, looks to make that up with being on a contender that's in the playoffs. Does that feel all that necessary? Uh, I mean, the 49ers have been really good of just adding glut to strength on top of strength like they did with Chase Young, but um, that it, it, uh, I just don't see how this helps. Uh, now, with what the 49ers want to do. Yeah, that's probably wishful thinking by Ertz, right? Now. That's Anybody who's watched that <laughs> offense says, hey, I should probably go play for that offense. Yeah. I'm not sure there's a fit there. I, I do think uh, a reunion with Philadelphia makes a little bit of sense. I know here in Buffalo, there's been some talks about it, though Dawson Knox has opened his practice window, so it may be that not a necessity as well. He probably lands on some, one of these contenders or fringe contenders, but I'm just not sure how much juice is left in that tank. All right, let's wrap with my toughest question of the day. Better chance of happening. The Patriots score two touchdowns tonight on Thursday night football or Bill Belichick returns as the Patriots head coach in 2024. I'm going to say the latter. I'm going to say Bill Belichick is the Patriots head coach. However, he is not the Patriots general manager next year. I believe they're going to bring in somebody to change the process, change the drafting strategy, change the roster construction strategy, because I do think that is an area that Bill Belichick is a bit antiquated with. And I think that's fair. His draft has been really rough, uh, you know, maybe one out of four, one out of five on an annual basis in terms of hits. So why get rid of this guy when you know that his on the field stuff can still hold up and defensively, they do still look pretty darn good, even with some injuries. I'd give him the chance to go back there and do what he wants to do, which is coach but bringing somebody over top of his head to kind of change the strategy in New England going forward. All right. All I heard there was take the under tonight. Uh, <laughs> that does it for us here on today's edition of the spot track podcast. If you like the content that you hear on this channel, follow rate review, subscribe. It goes a long way. We greatly appreciate it. And make sure you check out spot for the latest on the one Soto deal. <laughs>